Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we discuss part three of The War on Normal People by Andrew Yang. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. Uh, Hey guys, this is the co-host, The Voice, Nick Kleitch, and with me as always, my good friends, uh, Cole Szynski and Jeremy Machino. Uh, Gentlemen, how are we? Nick, we're doing good. We're getting ready to hit on part three of The War on Normal People by Andrew Yang. I think this will be a very informational episode for our listeners, so make sure you tune in and uh, I'm ready to go. Well, it is... uh... It's always fun to do this just little little beginning part. Nick, the, the, the listeners probably are like, what's going on with Nick? Why does he sound so different? Nick's in his office, uh, just kind of experimenting with things. I think we kind of like to do that here on State Street. And so it's always fun to, to see who's doing what and who's trying to tweak things and sound better, do better for, for our listeners. But uh, yes, this episode, we're going to focus on UBI, going to be very, very neutral on the fact and then make sure to tune in next week and you'll get to hear a little bit more personal views on things. Maybe we might do a little bit more debating and uh, it should be a fun couple of weeks, Nick. What do you think? Yeah, I'm super stoked for it. We've uh, invested kind of our blood, sweat and tears into this book. And uh, traditionally speaking, this is something a little bit outside of what we would have or desired to cover. But I think that was the whole refreshment part of it is just being able to get eyes on a different concept. Um, as we were talking through, you know, what this entails and Andrew's uh, uh, opinion on what would be effective, um, it was just really cool to kind of take it as a learning opportunity, uh, as we have with a couple of other, other different books. But uh, just to be very clear on this, what we're going to try to do today is lay as m- a most information and clear painted picture that we can about what universal base- basic income is why it's thoughtful for potential people as a governor would roll it out and some of the intricacies of being able to kind of take the community and and the the lower portion of income earners versus the the very wealthy and and close that gap a little bit. So uh, forgive me listeners for being a little choppy there. We'll try to get right into the good stuff. So what we're going to do first is just describe what universal basic income is. So essentially, this is a government program where every adult citizen receives a set amount of money on a monthly basis. The goal of basic income or the system is to alleviate poverty and replace other need-based social programs that potentially require uh, more government involvement. Um, This idea actually has been thrown around a handful of times throughout uh, history, as Andrew Yang enlightens us. Uh, And there's a handful of people that he has put in the book as far as uh, them mentioning maybe this idea could roll out, uh, maybe this idea would be effective down the road, and, and something we should try out. And um, it's, a, it's a really interesting comp, uh, concept and very different maybe to what we've been used to here in America. Um, so for his specific example, he would give every citizen $1,000 a month um, just to be able to have on top of any current earning wages. The multimillionaire gets $1,000 a month and the very poverty stricken family gets $1,000 a month. So the entire premise of the society of the U.S. would receive this $1,000 uh, a check a month. And what's interesting about this program is, again, we're trying to close the gap from what 
the poverty line is to create a better society as a whole. And Andrew, uh, one of the things that he thinks will really, really help is uh, just having more cash, having a dependable source of income that everyone would have once a month on top of anything else. So, you know, for those families living paycheck to paycheck, or for those families that feel like they can't afford to take their, uh, let's say their kids to school, pay their monthly bills, pay for gas, all these things kind of fall under a category where he feels a thousand dollars a month could greatly impact uh, people from a financial standpoint. And then through and through uh, mental health, uh, alleviating some depression as well. And, and just the stress of not having enough money. So I know I've, I've shared quite a bit here, but I'm going to turn it over to you, Cole. Uh, is there anything I missed on that as I was just kind of describing a, a general theme? Well, I think some important notes to know is in the book, and so I'm going to try to, as we as we stay neutral on this and stay try to try to stay very informative. I'm going to try to refer to the book a lot, just because it's coming from uh, Andrew Yang, not so much as from us. We're we're not versed in this by any means, and and what we know comes from this book and what Andrew Yang said. Um, he calls it actually the freedom dividend. So anytime, if you're reading an article online, you see universal basic income or you see the freedom dividend, if maybe it's something specifically relating to Andrew Yang, um, or maybe it's something you remember from when he was a candidate running for president, uh, that's what, that's the exact thing we're talking about. The freedom dividend is the universal basic income that he talks about. His proposal um, is that Americans from age 18 to 64 would get this basically a thousand dollars up per month, um, dividend or, or almost kind of a stimulus. I know that he uses the dividend, but you can think of it as, you know, the stimulus package that's come out due to COVID-19 and the CARES Act. Think about getting, you know, the, uh, in this case, thousand dollar every month, um, to supplement maybe a lack of annual income, a lack of monthly income, due to whatever job you have, the amount of hours you're getting, um, or the like. The other thing, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to Jeremy because I know he has a point, is the idea of this um, was kind of like Nick said, to, to close the gap on the poverty line. Andrew Yang references in the book that the poverty line, and this is back in 2018, uh, was $11,770. So you think about Closing the gap on that, giving people roughly $230 over the poverty line. One part of that idea that Nick didn't mention is to also feed money back into these economies, back into the communities that are receiving them. So, you know, as we talk, as we, uh, as we talk about, and as we know about through the news and being on social media, small supporting small business has been huge, especially in 2021 and into 20 or from 2020 into 2021, excuse me. The idea would be that people would have money to put back into the communities by supporting small business, supporting local restaurants, and, and being able to supplement or substitute the automation that's been going on with you know big companies and companies trying to drive costs down and allow for small businesses not only to operate as they should or or would hope to, but also so that we would have the freedom as American citizens to create business and to create small business um, that could obviously be funded through our local communities and uh, maybe even with the help of national or, or a social media platform, national attention, uh, find niche markets all around the country. Jeremy, though, I will turn it to you. What did I miss? Um, fill in the blanks for me. 
No, I just wanted to touch on the, the how do we pay for it portion because it's it's not really, I didn't really view it as a stimulus because we're still generally going to pay for it, right? With the, the value added tax. So basically it's a, a 10% tax on every level of production for a good or service. Um, and he, he says that'll pay for it. It's like a, what, like a $1.3 trillion plan, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we currently have a federal government uh, budget of four trillion. So he says we can we basically Americans are paying for um, this this thing, so we don't have to do any extra. We don't incur any extra cost to the the budget or or anything like that that would cause any sort of like massive inflation or you know just any like government bloat. This would basically be us investing in ourselves, is what I believe he kind of alluded to. Well, and to add on to that specific portion, Jeremy, so uh, for everyone to receive this amount of money with it being very close to the total budget that we're given, uh, financial issues are what is driving or what may be for a lot of people in today's world. And this is not something that was supposed to Um, Again, we're trying to increase the poverty line where the majority of Americans or we'll say the the normal people, as Andrew refers to them as, would probably benefit from receiving this extra uh, basic income to their financial plans on a monthly basis. Um, And so you're able to use it as you so please. Um, That is his uh, another point he gives. It's not that you're going to be monitored on what you use this money for, but just feels that having a little bit more access to cash uh, would help um, just kind of collectively um, as well. And I also want to note this too. This would actually uh, be in part with all the government programs as well. So if you're currently receiving a disability check or if you're receiving any other types of uh, government policy check, this would actually fall under that category of $1,000 as well too. So there wouldn't be anything on top of it. Um, for those people that are already receiving that money, this would be uh, in that $1,000 that you would get. So uh, hopefully we've done a nice job uh, describing that for um for you guys. Um, I think another thing to throw out there before I turn it over to you, Cole, um, just as we've researched and uh, I might have lightly touched on it, uh, this actually has been implemented in different areas throughout the world over the course of history. Uh, Many different philosophers and and governments have tried this and have seen some success. um, And uh, there's been really cool different forms of this capitalism or interjecting money into the hands of the people uh, and how that has played out. So I just wanted to throw that out there, but Cole, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Well, first off, I like the idea, or I like the the thought behind um, you talking about streamlining, you know, the disability check, the the unemployment stuff, any other government funded uh, amount of money that people could receive, social security, uh, all of those things would be streamlined right into what Andrew Yang's freedom dividend is, and all of those things would be would be built in so you could do away with the programs and it could really fall under one umbrella and then trickle down to people. Um, just to stay neutral though, we've, we've kind of talked on, on what it is, the benefit that people would get from it. I also want to bring up the, the disadvantages that Andrew Yang mentions in the book, because he does mention a few. Um, there are obviously some that he doesn't mention. Um, whether that's correct or not correct, obviously tune in next week. We can talk about that. You'll hear a lot from the three of us about that. Um, the first one though, being he says we can't afford it. And when he says that that's as a nation, um, the second being it will destroy people's incentives to work. 
The third being, wouldn't that cause rampant inflation, which we've talked, we, which we touched on, Nick touched on very briefly. Um, and then fourth and, and final is people will spend the money on stupid things like drugs and alcohol. Um, the one that I want to touch in just because there was something that kind of piqued my interest as I was, I was reading was the second one. Um, and it's, it will destroy people's incentives to work. And, uh, he talks about a, a gentleman named Andy Stern, right? And how he jokes that the upper middle class or, or what Andrew Yang would consider normal people. So we'll just say middle class to generalize it. Uh, how children of people growing up in middle class, upper middle class already operate on a parental basic income, right? Mom and dad still funding things like cell phone bills, rent guarantees, family trips, vacations, and so on. They come out of where? The bank of mom and dad. And I, I did think that was kind of funny, uh, being a 24-year-old living on my own. Am I necessarily completely off of my parents' financial uh, burden, I guess you want to say? No, but I think that's also a part of slowly rolling off, slowly gaining independence. Uh, but I did think it was funny because, you know, just because my, my parents still, you know, help out with the cell phone bill or they still help out with a rent payment or they still help out with whatever they could help out a, a young to middle-aged 20-year-old, uh, that is something that, that we are already kind of living with. And, it, and it's a part of my reality, as well as a lot of young 20s to middle 20-year-olds uh, in our country. And so uh, I, I did think that was funny because, you know, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't lessen my incentive to work. I still really want to work. I want to get back to, if, if you're not working full-time, I want to get back, you know, when I wasn't, it's like, I want to get back to working full-time. Or if the hours are cut, you know, let's get back to full hours. If the pay is down because you're not making money, whatever it is, the incentive, at least for me, and, and I, you guys can speak for yourself. I'm not going to speak for anyone but myself. Uh, the incentive for me is still there. And so, you know, to that point, I can understand why he presents that as a, as a disadvantage, though. I think that is something that a lot of people, when this freedom dividend or this UBI is brought up, is something that people would look at and say, if you're going to give us money, then why do we have to work? And so I, I, I do think that's fair to present. Yeah, that was uh, that's a really big one that he addresses. And I'm glad that he does, because I'm sure he gets that almost on the, the regular for people that are opposing this or, or whatnot. But um, we will make sure we walk the, the neutral line again today uh, and be sure to, you know, provide as much of a, again, a picture that we're trying to portray for this. And then next week, we're going to let it eat <laughs> for yeah. those that are excited about that. But um, the, the last thing I wanted to, well, I guess not the last thing on the conversation, excuse me, uh, a very strong example of what this could look like. And I want to share this from the book. Um, so Alaska um, is, has very, very certain ind industries that they do well in just based on the geography. Um, and so Alaska had a permanent fund. Um, and basically what had happened was because Alaska was so prosperous with petroleum um, and, and making sure everyone gets that, they export the goods, they get a really good uh, ROI on that. They actually collectively as a state were able to give out dividends from their sales, which was between 1,000 and 2,000 
per person per year. A family of four received more than $8,000 in 2015. A dividend reduces the poverty by one quarter and is one reason why Alaska has the second lowest income equality in the country. Now, those stats are, are portrayed again from an information basis. And I will also say that there's not a lot of folks that live in Alaska compared to comparatively to other states in the United States. So uh, that might be skewed a little bit. But the point being here is if you can visualize a state um, or even a county that all the taxpayer money that goes in and as you export goods, you know, there's a dividend that comes from that and put back into the pockets of the shareholders. Um, and so that concept is, hey, the more as a community we invest our money in, the better the state does and the better the state does, the more money that gets back into the hands of the people. So that's just a, a small, strong example that I thought was very intriguing as we were kind of discussing this as a whole. Um, but another thing that's intriguing for those folks out there is if you haven't checked out Drift quality wear in a while. There's a lot of really cool things that they have going on. Uh, our partner Clayton Lieb and Jake Dale over there um, have been doing a really nice job taking a lot of photography actually the last couple of weeks, uh, even though it's negative 20 out. But uh, just to touch on a couple of really cool things. Uh, first is their summer line is being developed and, and they're going to put that out. I can't reveal a date at this point, but for if it's anything like their winter push, I mean, this stuff is going to be super high quality. Um, and, and just to give you guys some hope, summer it will come. I know it's freezing right now. Summer will come. Um, and then as always too, um, you're able to go to their website and use us uh, as a promo code at checkout. At, or you can input State Street Podcast and get 10% off your entire cart. Uh, the second thing before I turn it over to Jeremy... Uh, they actually have a newsletter coming out. Um, and again, can't reveal a date on that, but they're just using that as a form to keep people involved with what they're trying to do uh, for all future products they create. So Jeremy, I'm going to turn it over to you if I had forgotten anything on our, our good friends over there. Yeah, I just wanted to hit on that they have started their Corona cleanup. And since March of 2020, they have pledged to remove one pound of trash for every item they sell in uh, state parks and wildlife areas. Currently, they have pledged to uh, remove over 1,600 pounds of trash from wildlife areas. And I mean, it's going to keep growing as you guys keep buying. So guys, not only are you supporting a great cause by supporting our partners and our friends, but you're also supporting you know, a, a really good cleanup action as well. Well, kudos to, to Clayton and Jake Dale. I mean, for, for doing awesome things, not only starting their own business, which is admirable in itself, but also taking the initiative to do something bigger than themselves with the platform that they have built, not been given, but they've built it. But also we, we can't leave our friends at Chi-Town Blankets out of that mix when we're given kudos. And I thank Dom Hilsheim as well as his executive board members, such as Jack Thode, who have come on the podcast. Those folks at Chi-Town Blankets deserve all the kudos in the world for everything they're doing uh, for the city of Chicago. You guys, there's 88,000 homeless people in the city of Chicago. Can you imagine what it must be like? I can't imagine, but, but just try to put yourself in someone's shoes who's been having to go through these negative temperatures, all kinds of snow, just cloudy, kind of crappy weather that we know it gets like, especially in the Midwest around wintertime when the sun's not out, you're not maybe getting that vitamin D. What's better to, to keep you at least warm and give you a little glimmer of hope than a blanket from, from someone you don't know, from a total stranger? That's exactly the idea that Dom and his team uh, have come up with with Chi Town Blankets. So, in order to get involved, go to chitownblankets.com, C H I T O W N B L A N K E T S.com. They've got a store on the website. You can buy blankets directly from, it's like an Amazon store type thing that it links directly to their website. You can also donate monetarily. 
And it's a great way to, to do something kind, do something nice for someone you don't know, someone completely random. They actually just had to buy a storage facility to house all the donations they're getting as far as blankets go. And uh, that's super exciting. That means there's going to be a lot of people helped out. Hopefully some hope given to, to a lot of people in need of it. Lastly, they do have a newsletter comes out once every month. You can sign up. It's the first thing that pops up on their website. So again, go to chitownblankets.com, get involved, keep up to date on the latest news going on with their newsletter. Everyone deserves to stay warm. So a supplement to Andrew Yang's universal basic income uh, actually comes in the form of another program um, or idea, so to speak, that he couples with it very nicely. Um, and this idea actually has nothing to do with the, the dollar or monetary gain, and it has everything to do with your time. And so he calls it, um, it what, what's the name of the program? It's not social credits, but what is it called? digital social credits. So you can, you can call it social credits or you could call it digital social credits. It essentially means the same thing. Gotcha. It does, it does try to, or attempt to replace the, the U S dollar though, as we know it, Nick. Okay. Yeah. So the whole concept here is again, Andrew is trying to put this program in place to be able to bring our community together and create more wholeness, but also he sees an opportunity for people maybe that aren't totally gainfully employed right now to be able to help out other members of the community. And so essentially what you'd be able to do is as you're given a uh, an opportunity to go receive um, some social credits, uh, one example is walking other people's dogs. Uh, another example is being able to go over and, and do handyman work uh, for someone who needs it if you have that skill set. Uh, very various things. I mean, even volunteering at a local food bank will earn you these credits. And essentially what you're able to do is accumulate these credits over time and build up a, a bank account, if you will. Um, and again, this is not necessarily directly proportionate to money, but what it's trying to do is guide and give opportunity to those folks that want to just help out or be more useful in general. Um, and just to back up a little bit on that, uh, again, he's implementing this, so he's trying to better the community. So we'll use Alan as an example. Maybe Alan is a retired um basically a retired military gentleman and he is receiving the benefits that he so deserved, uh, but he just works part-time. Well, and, or Alan would be able to go out throughout the community and accumulate these social credits through acts of kindness, raking someone's leaves, um, pouring concrete for maybe a, a local individual. Uh, and then over time, as these credits accumulate, he'd be able to use them or at least feel that he's being very, very involved in the community nonetheless. Um, Jeremy, I am going to turn it over to you now to keep the conversation going. Well, he, he uses the example in the book. I forget what the, he gives the woman, the name of the woman, but it's like she had her kids go out and pick up wood and, and like do all these handiwork. So then she could turn around and then get their light fixture fixed. So it's not kind of like you go out and do this out of the kindness of your heart. It's you go out and give your time and then you'll expect someone else to come out and give their time back to you. So that's, that's kind of how I interpreted it. Well, and Nick, you actually, you, you mentioned it and I, I want to kind of run with that point and Andrew Yang talks about this in the book a lot. So I, again, we're staying on, on topic, on par with what the book says. It brings up the value of being a quote unquote handyman or a handywoman. People who can do these small, odd jobs, maybe they're, they're the do-it-yourselfer type that they're really good at just getting stuff done around the house. Maybe they're really good at gardening. Maybe they're really good at 
fixing a light fixture. Maybe they do have the the capability to, if some wood needs, if a tree needs to be cut down, they can go over, they can chop it up, move the wood wherever it needs to be. Um, and you would earn and you and accumulate these social credits over time as a way to supplement maybe not receiving an actual income from being someone who does, who's, who's able to do do-it-yourself projects around the house or have the willingness to go help your neighbor or go, go help someone in community. And that's, that's, that's a big driving force behind this is Andrew Yang wants to build a sense of community within the local communities that people are in. And that's one way that this can do it. So yeah, an example would be someone that has the capability to fix a light fixture, or maybe there's some, uh, some wiring that needs to be done and you have a retired electrician who, yeah, maybe he's not working full time. He's not working, you know, independently or for a company, but he has the time and ability to go help out his neighbor across the street who maybe isn't capable, doesn't have the knowledge or the wherewithal to do it. Um, and he can earn, you know, let's say 250 social credits for doing that one thing. And essentially it's, it's time equaling the, the amount of money received and and money being the social credits. So yeah, I mean, would, would maybe then that person who, who gets their light fixture, you know, fixed or wiring fixed, then be more apt to do the same thing for, for, we'll, we'll run with the name Alan, who maybe isn't, isn't in tune with gardening. And maybe that person is is a big gardening. Uh, they come in and they, they take care of Alan's landscape in his front and backyard, or maybe a side yard, or maybe he just takes those social credits and, and that's dinner for the evening. You know, if 250 social credits is the equivalent to $25, let's say that's, that pays for your dinner right there. And, and if restaurants accept these social credits, then it's also a way of, it's almost a barter system. You're bartering your time or your ability to be handy and, and do these kind of small odd jobs not only around your house, but around the community, or just simply be willing to volunteer in order to gain you a, a good or another service in return for, for that time that, that you spent doing whatever uh, was asked of you. So for the folks listening into this right now, I want you to pause for a moment, and I want you to just think. Think about yourself, think about your family, but then also think about everyone that is involved in your community. So we've described these ideas to you uh, as information-based as possible. And before we kind of drive this and conclude this whole thing up, I do want to, again, open the mind a little bit. So uh, again, this is a way for people to be able to have more money in their pockets and also have the ability to gain credit for being more involved in their local communities. So I have a couple questions I'm going to pose to you. Um, We don't have to answer it here today. We'll obviously be able to tear into it in part four here coming up. But uh, do you think something like this would truly help your community? That's the first one. So do you truly think something like this would help the community? Secondly, how would your life improve if you had an extra $1,000? How would your life improve if you had an extra $1,000? And lastly, Based on your current situation, do you think that something like this is feasible? Do you think that with human behavior, do you think something like this could actually roll out and be feasible? 
Now, I'm not trying to say those questions in a, in a swayed way. I have my own opinion, and you're going to be able to hear that in part four. Uh, but I just want to get the mind gears rolling a little bit because this idea and these concepts are very futuristic as what we've read with Andrew. Now, he plays in a very futuristic world, though, because he is meeting with a lot of these people that uh, are rolling out automation and are rolling out the potential for AI in the coming years here. So it's more close, and we need to be more open-minded to some of these ideas. And the one thing I will say unrelated to this episode uh, is we do have a little bit of an outdated system. And he addresses this. We've been governing the same way since 1970 and it's 2021. So what is the next evolution? We don't know, um, but I'm glad at least he's taken an attempt or taken a swing at it, if you will. So uh, the last thing uh, before I kind of drive the nail home, guys, do you have any more information or any more thoughts that you could share to make sure we're painting a good picture? Well, yeah, one thing, Nick, that, that I did want to touch on, just because we touched on it with the universal basic income slash freedom dividend idea, we talk about lessening the gap between poverty and, or we, we talk about lessening the gap of the poverty line, right? With you, with UBI and with the freedom dividend idea that Andrew Yang presents. This also, this social credit idea is also meant to lessen a gap, but it's meant to lessen a gap in communities, right? Because you have folks who are very influential, whether they're on the school board, like the PTO board, school board, maybe they're a part of like that community's government or or that community's um, chamber of commerce or things like that. But what those don't do is necessarily value the, the handy person or the person that maybe they didn't go to college, maybe they don't have that secondary education, but maybe they went to trade school, which you could categorize as secondary education, I guess. But maybe they just didn't go to secondary, they didn't have that secondary education, but they grew up working, you know, at a, at a hardware stop, hardware shop. Or maybe they did just grow up with their dad as an electrician and they just took over the business um, without schooling. They just grew up with that. That's what their dad did. And so you, you begin to lessen the gap of value within a community. There is still value in being a part of that government, that local chamber of commerce, the PTO boards, you know, different school activities being in charge of all these great things around the community. But it also elevates the value of people who have the ability to do kind of these odd things that may pop up in in every every person's everyday life. Maybe because someone has to go to a to a PTO meeting, they don't have time to, to babysit their kids. You would earn social credits, maybe even if you're a young person. You know, that's the great thing about these social credits too, would be I'm a young guy, right? Maybe my neighbor to the left and right of me are, are elderly folks. They're much more capable to take care of my dog, let's say, if I go out of town. But if they need manual labor done, I'm the guy that could earn social credits by doing manual labor, picking up stuff, putting stuff away moving stuff around, maybe reaching a, a box or two if I'm tall enough. I, Cole Szynski, am not tall enough to do those jobs, so don't ask me to do those for social credits. I'm ba- I can't do that for you. Uh, I'm joking, of course. But uh, those are kind of the way, it, it, it's all about valuing the unseen, essentially, with this program is what Andrew Yang is outlining. Well, really nicely said, Cole, and I appreciate you uh, you driving home that point. Um, so residents, I hope that you guys have really enjoyed this, and I hope that we've set a really nice stage for next week as we kind of wrap this up and share our thoughts uh, on what has this book has done for us. Um, lastly, though, and uh, we're super excited for our next guest, I will say that. Uh, I'm going to read this to you, and then we'll go ahead and get you guys out of here, okay? The overall goal would be to improve social cohesion 
and maintain high levels of engagement for people in a post-work economy. The freedom dividend would elevate society beyond a need for sustenance and scarcity. The digital social credit would tie together communities and give people a way to both generate value and feel or generate uh, yeah, generate value and feel valued regardless of how the market regards their time.